0: Well, it's great to see you, and I'm just so delighted and so excited that you're here. And today we're beginning a new series. We're beginning a new series in Second Timothy, but I got to tell you a little bit, a couple of things before we get there. And the first one is I want to show you a picture here. This guy's name's Frank here. If you can throw that picture up there, Frank. So that's Jackie Land right there. And uh, so right here you can see he's got a sleeping bag right there. And as a church, we've given out about 700 of these sleeping bags. It has a Gospel of Mark in there and hygiene stuff and socks and all that. But what we do, and this is really, the reason I want to show you this is because that's really who we are. That's like who we are as a church there is that we're the church that wants to bless the community. They're forgotten in the community here. And so we dispense these. We'll be doing it in another month or so, giving you another hundred sleeping bags that you can take. You put them in your car, and then you dispense those to the community because you are the church that blesses the community. And I love that about this church that we care about the community. But I want to show you another something just a second here, too. So last Sunday after we finished uh, here, and I was driving home on the ten freeway, uh, my son uh, Garrett he texts me and he says, "Dad, we're going to In and Out." We're going in. How many people know it's a good day when you're going to in and out? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. So it's a good day. We're going in and out. Dad, what do you want? As if they need to ask me, because the only thing I've ever got like my whole life is a number three. Okay. So I text him back. He says, We're going in and out. So this is my text to him. I said, grilled onions, extra spread, number three. And then I'd try that's really good. I've just started doing that. Anyway, so that's what I ordered. He says, okay. So I get there at In N Out. And there I see this. Next slide. I see there they've never messed up my order. My whole life they've never messed up. I've, I know it sounds un-American. I know it's a, an American, uh, uh, great American thing, but I've never had a double-double. And so sitting in front of me is this double-double, and I'm thinking to myself, they messed up my order. They've never messed up my order. I thought, should I take it back? And I look at my two sons there, and they're just wolfing down their double double. So I said to myself, I'm not going to be outdone by them. I'm going to go ahead and eat this double-double too. So I started to hear the next picture. So I start to eat the double-double, and it's like, Oh my goodness, this is a real burger. I mean, look at all that meat. I'm used to a number three, like my whole life. And then you're still hungry. Anybody still hungry? I'm still hungry. But then I had a number three. I was like, I don't know if I can finish. Like, this is like a real burger. And so that evening, with the In-N-Out double-double experience still fresh in my mind, I start to read 2 Timothy, and I'm just perusing through it. I'm just kind of trying to collect some thoughts there. And the thought just overwhelmed me. Second Timothy is like a double double. I mean, there's so much here, there's so much content, so much meat, the weight of it, you know, there's it's not like this little lightweight Number three, this is like really a double-double. There's like a ton of like weighty, weighty content there. And so I'm just inviting you for the next eight weeks. We're going to have a double-double on Sunday morning, spiritually speaking, all right? So there it is. Um, So you better be here for the next eight weeks because it's awesome. And so... I want to begin reading here though, the title of the message is this, it's The Road to Real Faith, The Road to Real Faith, and in your notes there, if you want to pull them out, we've got three points there on Timothy's journey and his road to real faith. The the theme of the message in in your worship guides there is No Regrets. This is how to live a life of no regrets here. So we're going to read through the first seven verses. If you would stand to your feet. I'm going to read the odd verses there. And you're going to read the even verses. Number two, number four, and number six. And so this is audience participation. Everyone is going to read loud together. I'll read verse one. You read verse two. I do three. You do four. I do five. You do six. I do seven. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse one, says, This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And I've been sent out to tell others about the life that he's promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, And your mother, Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You may be seated. So here's the great Apostle Paul here. And he writes this divinely inspired a letter there to Timothy. And if you think about this, he's ready to die of all the people that he could write to, of all the churches he could write to, of all the options that he have, And he's about to lose his life. It is imminent. He decides to write to Timothy. So here he is. He's dropped literally into a hole, alone, in a pit, in the criminal, uh, in the company of criminals here, and so he's an agent, an old man here now in solitary confinement in a dark, damp, stinky, unhealthy hellhole that would hold twenty to thirty people there, and he writes his last letter. And so he begins to take out his pen and he frames his final words to this young millennial Timothy. And he would never be heard from again after he finishes this letter. This is going to end his life here. This is his final words that he would ever pen. And so he picks up his pen, and he begins to write to Timothy there in this pit here, uh, in prison there, in literally a dungeon. And he writes, Dear Timothy, and so and he says, I finished the race. And I finished the race with no regrets. And I want to show you how you too can run and you can finish your race with no regrets, and he puts down his pen, never to be heard from, again. With a sentence of death hanging over his head, he prepares for the inevitable. He wants to pass the baton, the mantle, the torch, and that Timothy, who's a young protege that he's been pouring into and mentoring, would be able to carry that in his generation. This is a final farewell, a swan song, Demonstrating the dying, the wishes of a, die, a man who's going to soon die here. And in verse 1, he begins to talk about the prospect of life when he's facing the prospect of death. Verse 1, if you want to look on the screens. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle, one who sent forth Christ Jesus. And I've been sent out to tell others about the life. <clears throat> that he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. He talks about the life. Like, what is the life? All of us want to have a, a quality of life. Nobody wants to have a dull life, a boring life, a meaningless life, an empty life, a, a dead-end life. Who wants to have that kind of life? All of us want to have a life. And he talks about here the life you can have right now. The life then that God intended. This is the key to life. Jesus offers you the key to life, to fulfillment in life here. (coughs) Excuse me. So he talks about that he's chosen by the will of God. In other words, I didn't come up with this. He says to Timothy, this is all God. This is God's idea. I didn't apply for the job here. I didn't appoint myself for this job here. I wasn't appointed by the church for this job. This is all God. I was called by God. I was like pegged by God there. I was selected by God. So and the reason this happened is I have been sent out to tell others. That's why God chose me. If you're a Christ follower today, you too, like Paul, you've been chosen by God. You were picked by God on purpose by an eternal God who looked down through the the ages and chose you before the foundation of time. It says in Ephesians there. So he says, I've been sent to tell others. And so he says, this is my passion. This is who I am. This is what I do. And verse 2 there, it's so tender. It's so awesome. It says in verse 2, and I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son says, may God the Father in Christ, Jesus our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. He was facing circumstances so far beyond himself. It was so tumultuous. He was so shaken up, so difficult, so monumental that he needed Paul to talk to him and say, gosh, you know, I'm praying for your grace and mercy and peace. Because he needed it because he was facing such rough times and more on that later. But I want to point out, he says, my dear son... I think this is very insightful for us, and I really feel like it's a word from God to us this morning. My dear son here. Paul's saying this I've never had a biological son, but Timothy is like my son. I love him like a son. I care for him like a son. I pray for him and I encourage him and I empower him. He's just like my son. Timothy would look back and say, I've never had a dad. I've never had a dad that I could talk to about things of the faith... Yeah, I had a biological dad, but he was like out there. He was out there. Never had anyone like Paul. So now Timothy is looking to Paul as his father, as his spiritual father, who's filling a need and a gap that no one else could fill there. So they had this incredibly close bond, this tender father-son relationship, a, a mentor to a young protege that was shaping him for greatness in the kingdom there. And so Paul says, he's like my son. Timothy never had that, never had the opportunity to connect spiritually with an older man mature like that. Well, all that to say this. I feel this very dynamic is what God would want to replicate, replicate a hundred, hundreds of times over, like right here. Like there are young men, young boys. Young girls that need a a spiritual mother, that need a spiritual father, they're looking for that. It's deep within the heart. I just gotta tell all of us that it's deep within the heart of of every young man that you would have a father, a father figure that you could look to. Not somebody that's perfect, but just like Timothy looked to Paul and he adored him and he he, he patterned his life after him. And every man needs that. So if you're a young man, we'd love to see that happen. If you're, you're a mature, you're a seasoned man, I think God would want to do this, and we're going to expand on this in just a couple of verses here. And so, in your notes there, it says, it says, we as a church, we're focused on building into the next generation. And I think this is so timely for us because this is just what we're doing. As a church, we want to pour in to younger generation. And so it's so important that we make sure, we make sure that the next generation of Timothy's there is emerging right now. Because all over the world and in Europe, you look in Europe and you walk the halls of the great cathedrals. There, it's about over. I mean, the church world is about over. There's flickers of of spiritual life, but the same roots of what happened in Western Europe are happening in America. The same things, a great declension of spiritual life in America. And if we don't do something, that what is going to keep us as a nation from being like them, where the spiritual light will begin to be snuffed out in our nation. There has to be a Timothy-Paul type relationships or Lois and Eunice to Timothy that I'm going to talk about here. A generation of Timothys and Timothiettes that's being developed right now. And so verse 5 says this. This is so awesome. Watch this. I remember your, now what, not faith, your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I know the same faith continues strong in you. So in your notes, there it says the road to real faith. It's rooted in, uh, how, do you, how do you say it, Steve? Mums? Mums. Mums. How, rooted in mums in honor of Australia this morning. Rooted in mums that mold, who mold, okay? And so mothers, grandmothers, this is a word for you right here. God wants to speak to you about this, about how God used these two women, a mother and a grandmother to elevate the lifelong shaping influence that a mother has in her son here. So what is it that caused Timothy to have the desire to walk with God, to be a Christ follower? And and who made Timothy who he was? I'll tell you. It was Lolo and it was Eunice. That's who did it there. They're not perfect, but watch. They had this reality of God about them where Timothy could say, Yeah, my mother, uh, Eunice and Lola, they're not perfect, but they walk with God. There's something that they're they're in touch with God here. So they have this dynamic about them, about their sincere faith, not just going to church. Okay, they had a sincere faith. We're going to talk about that. So there's a dynamic of their sincere faith that so impacted Timothy that it was the relationship of faith was transferred to him. Through relationship there. They lived a sincere faith that was passed down to Timothy there. The principle, of course, applies to fathers. All the fathers here, it applies to you too. But one of the most important gifts that we can give our children is this is a sincere faith. And so a faith that is real, a faith that the kids can look and say, Yeah, it's authentic. They're not perfect, but they're genuine. They're real, they're, they're honest there. So this is what was passed on. When the Bible talks about a sincere faith, it literally means this, an unhypocritical faith. It means an unfaked, unfeigned, nothing put on, nothing phony faith there, a genuine faith. doesn't imply perfection, doesn't imply that you don't make mistakes, but it does imply that you're not one thing in public and another thing in private. The original culture here in this language, the word is uh, is, is chupokrete, which speaks of an actor. It says, that's what you're not. So they would wear these big masks like this here. This is what they would wear in the culture, and it says, when you're sincere, it means you're not that. That's what you're not is what he's talking about. So it says the reason that his mother and his grandmother so impacted him because it was of his sincere faith that they were not that. So this is what it means. I'm just going to kind of show you. What it would mean here. And I hope I don't fall. I can't see there. So this is what it would be like. They would have their actors and they would do their thing. So I'm just going to play this out a little bit so you can get the idea of what it was. It would be like this. If I, if I was to say, I would say, Oh, so awesome to see you. So great to see you, Pastor. I love that you're here. God's great to see you. Great to see you guys. It's so awesome. Just want to shake your hand. This is a, this is the most awesome church I've ever been to. Let me shake your hand, man. And then I leave, and then I leave, watch, and then I leave, and the mask comes off. And it, man, that Pastor Ron, he's such a jerk, you know, and all those dumb, lame people there at Sanctuary, they're a bunch of idiots. So that's what it's saying here. As sincere as sincere as there's no mask, there's no, in other words, I'm not one person here. Oh, God I love you guys, you're so awesome. And then, and then the mask comes off. And then you see the real Rod Collins. That's what it says when it's sincere. Timothy grew up. It was, it was genuine. It was real. There was no mask in public, another thing in private, and all that. And he saw that, and that had such a lasting impact that he couldn't escape. Watch. He could not escape the example of his mother. And he could not escape the example of his grandmother there. And it shaped who he was and this was the great gift that he that he was given to by his mother and his grandmother. And I want to say that because of this. I think the greatest gift that you can give we can give our children is this gift right here, the gift of sincere faith. And I get it. We want them to have the best schools and the best teachers and enroll them in all the best sports and give them the best electronics and the best technology and all that all those gifts that we give them. But I would submit to you in the light of the story here of Timothy and Eunice and Lois, that the greatest gift you can give them is the gift of sincere faith. So, parents, it begins with us. It begins with us, but it is sincere. The other thing I just want to throw out in passing and completing this is 2 Timothy 3.15. It says this. Timothy, you've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they've been giving you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And so coupled with that sincere faith was that they instructed him, the center of his life there was the scriptures there, and had this massive influence on him since he was a little guy. Hearing the stories there, having the scriptures maybe read to him there. And so, this is how Timothy was shaped. But Paul now is concerned. Paul's very, very concerned about Timothy. Because the same thing that happened to Timothy here that we're going to unpack happens to everyone in this room. Very same thing happens. So this, another, this is also, I think, a word from God to us here. He says this in verse 6. And this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. There was a time when Paul had prayed for, lay hands means he's praying for him there, praying the Timothy uh, over his life there. And so he received this charisma, which means a spiritual Gift. This gift of grace is what it literally means there. So Timothy then had this role, had this responsibility there. And uh, like all of us do, if you're a Christ follower, you've experienced this same dynamic. That you've received a spiritual gift that God gave you when you became his follower there. A charisma, a gift of grace there. And so, and specifically these spiritual gifts are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4 there. But I'm going to talk about it in a general sense here. And so he says, Timothy, I'm concerned about you because you're becoming indifferent. You're becoming a bit sluggish there, and I think you're in a a rough space there in your life. And so I've noticed, Timothy, that the gift that's within you, it's like it's becoming dormant. That gift, Timothy, it's like, it's like it's atrophying. That gift within you is being minimized and being marginalized. And where's the gift of God that when I prayed for you, where is that? So Timothy had this special gift. The special gift to equip him was like the equipment and the endowment and the aptitude and the ability then so that he could do what God had called him to do like every one of us here. All of us have received gifts if you're his follower here. And so the gifts of charisma there. To attempt great things for God and to, to have God make you great there, to do great things for Him. And so, but Timothy now is growing cold. He's a bit stuck. All of this immense giftedness, and it's stuck. So Paul says, I'm concerned about you. You're you're stifled there. You become complacent about your gift. Timothy, what's happening within you? So even though the greatness of the gift that God could download within us by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, he says, Timothy, you've got to do something and you've got to take action and you've got to fan the flame there. And in your notes, the road to real faith, the road to real faith, there are times you have to renew the flame. It really is God's word for us today. So he says, you have to relight the fire of your own heart. Now, we all get it. We all Most people, you love campfires. You love a fire. There comes a time when it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's minimizing. It's about to go out, and you poke, you poke it there, and you uh, grab a little shovel and work it up, throw another log on the fire. And so what he's saying is, Timothy, you need to poke that spiritual gift. You need to throw another log on the fire, and I'm going to describe what that looks like. Now, the grammar is very important. The grammar is essential that we get this, because the way that the grammar is in this verse is like this. It is, it is a continual over and over present participle there where he's saying, look, this is a continuous ongoing action. This is not, oh, yeah, one time I need to kind of give it a hot fix and I'm good to go. No, it's not talking about one good hot fix. This is talking about a continual ongoing action there where you have to flame, fan the flame over and over and over. As a lifestyle, always fanning the flame there. Yeah, but the gift is from God and God is great. Yeah, but you got to fan the flame there. So flames, go, how many people know? Think about your fireplace or campfire. Flames go out without continual fuel. Huh? Do they go out or they just keep burning forever on their own? He draws on this illustration inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, look, this is how the spiritual, your spiritual gifts are. The charisma is as if there has to be a fanning that goes on there. And I get it too. People have been to church and people have been involved in church and they get their feelings hurt. Now I don't want to get my feelings hurt again. So I just kind of want to withdraw and all that. But listen, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because there's so many things out there that can undermine and quench the fire here and undermine your gift. In your notes, sometimes it's just busyness. I mean, you get distracted. Sometimes it's a relationship. Maybe it's a good relationship, but it can be it can be so consuming then that you forget that Almighty God gave you this amazing gift. There, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe it's a, it's your job and you got to get work more overtime or your schedule and you're just you're just spent. You're fatigued. Or maybe it's the monotony of life. Maybe it's your fears. With Timothy, it was his fears. His fears were, were one of the things that were dominating him there. And so he says, look, when you see your gift is beginning to grow dim, fan the flame. When you see this beginning to flicker, fan the flame. When you see that you're beginning to have a little apathy, a little bit of exhaustion, but, but fan the flame there. When you begin, you see you're beginning to wane spiritually, fan the flame. So what is it that's snuffing out your flame here? I think sometimes we need to just, I want to talk about this, about how is it then that you stir up the gifts that God gave you? So I have four, just, I just want to be super practical here. And so how do you stir it up? How do, you, how do you exercise your gift? First of all, first of all, the first thing you have to do is you just have to discover your gift. Maybe you need to just pray over yourself here. Maybe you need to ask others. There's all kinds of books and resources out there. Many people, God's given you gifts, They can lie dormant there and you like have to discover or maybe you rediscover the gift that God has given you. Your best life is on the other side of using your gift. Maybe you know what your gift is and you're aware of it, that it's there, but it's just sort of like riding shotgun with you, not centering your life. Then maybe what you need to do is you know your gift, like Timothy, he discovered his gift. What he needed to do is rededicate it back to God. That's what Timothy needed to do here. So you know what you're good at, you know what God's gifting you at, but you're just not exercising it, like Timothy here. Uh, and so to do that, I think one of the, if I could just be really honest with you, which I always am, but so you just have to push the excuses aside if, you, if you're going to dedicate your gift to God there. And so I think sometimes we just need to, like Timothy, check the temperature of our devotion to God. Maybe check the, the temperature of our closeness to God. Maybe, like him, we've, we've sort of withdrawn. He needed to renew his holy passion, renewed it, the, the fire of his heart for God there. Some people have discovered your gifts, and then you've, you've, uh, you've dedicated your gifts to God, and that's a great thing. But then there's others. You just need to develop the gift. Develop the gift that God put within you. So uh, Steve Grace got up here today and when he was in high school or whatever, they told him, you stink, you're no good. God put a gift inside him. You stink, you're no good, you're done. Well, 22 albums later, God had a different story. All right? But did he have to practice? Did he have to develop his gift? He doesn't stand up here and it just happens. Probably thousands or tens of thousands of hours for decades developing a gift. What is your gift that you need to develop that God has given you there? If it's hospitality, hey, just practice on hospitality. Watch YouTubes on hospitality. Ask if you could express the gift of hospitality. And so ask if you could express it toward me. I would love that. I love cookies. So perhaps you're, you're here this morning. You've discovered your gift. You have dedicated your gift. You've developed your gift. Now what you need to do is deploy your gift or redeploy or exercise your gift. Let it come to expression. Just let it come to expression. And so deploy it there. So how do you fan the flame? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You, give, you, you dedicate yourself to God, dedicate your, your, your fanning of the flame back to him. So just a reminder of that. Verse seven, and I'll say this, you'll never regret. I'm sorry, I, I forgot this. You will never regret. You will, you will regret that you didn't do this, but you'll never regret that you did in your lifetime. You will never look back with measures of regret and say, oh, I'm so disappointed that I, that I stirred up the gift of, that God gave me and I used my gift. You'll never, you'll never have regrets about that. And the church, listen, the church here, the church can expect great things. We become a great church when everybody is using their gifts and stirring up their gifts. So, verse 7, I'm going to close with this. For God has not given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Timothy is now facing monumental challenges. And Paul asks to remind him, hey, you've got fear inside you, but God didn't give that to you. Fear that robs your peace of mind. Fear then that stresses you out, that keeps you from walking in faith. Fear that undermines your marriage there. And he's basically saying this. Timothy, you don't have to have fear become the centerpiece of your life. It doesn't need to be that way. And why doesn't it need to be that way in your notes? Remember what God has given you, the road to real faith. Remember this. He's saying, Timothy, what God has given you, you're collapsing under a cloud of fear. Would you remember what God has given you? He's given you the power to confront your fear that he is present, that he is greater. He is a, a power-sharing God who, God who gives you his power that you can overcome that fear. You have God's love there that's casts out all fear. And you, God's given you a mind there, Timothy, there not to be intimidated by the fear there, but that it can settle you down and give you uh, sensibility, an equilibrium, and help you to handle the pressure of that. And I close with this. Abraham Lincoln, when he was fighting the Civil War there, he often opened up his Bible. In fact, his Bible is so smudged up as the worship team comes, it's just filled with smudges. If you can look at the, the original Bible, it's filled with smudges on Psalm 34. And there picture the President of the United States, arguably the greatest president that has ever lived, has ever been given breath in our nation. There's a president, and opening up, On a regular basis, Psalm 34, and there he would read as he was having to make decisions for the final war, the Civil War that would shape the future of our nation, and his eyes would fall upon these words I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And those words were essentially written over his life and on his heart. The president, I sought the Lord. I'm feeling fear about this war, but I sought the Lord and He heard me, and He delivered me from all of my fears. And that's what God will do. Would you stand to your feet? And Father, thank you. Thank you. In our most desperate hour, you showed up in our brokenness, and you are with us, and you're still with us today. And you're an awesome God. We celebrate you and the living word. And you are mighty to save and mighty to rescue, mighty to redeem, and you're mighty to restore. You're the God who makes all things new. You're the God who rewrites our story, the God who changes our narrative, who invades our brokenness with your unfailing love. And we just want to pause this moment and say, thank you that you're the God that declares us not guilty. There is no one like you. you. We want to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.